and in here with me, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 today. As I said, after the message, if you go back and listen to the service, the praise and worship again online, you'll see that they've sang my message. They, they've sang my message. And uh, great selection of songs. Thank you so much for that. Praise and worship leader, singers and musicians. It's already been a great day. When you worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, that's a great day. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse, hmm, let me see. We're going to start in verse 10, if we can. Everybody say, I love Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Amen. In these last few moments of this church age that we are in, everything will be enhanced. Everything. Those who walk in the truth, the Holy Spirit will be able to guide them into more truth. It takes truth to reveal more truth. Men do not reveal truth. Truth reveals truth. If you're having trouble understanding something over here, then something over here is going to explain that. Not a man. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. It's not line in what I think. And then the line, the woman told me one time, Curtis, you just need to learn to read between the lines. And I said, well, that's where the devil dwells. I ain't hanging out between the lines. I'm hanging out with the lines. 
So we're going to see some things in these scriptures, just these verses here, maybe some others this morning. Because as I said, the, the closer we get to the revelation of Christ, his coming, the closer we get to the most evil time and most destructive time that Jesus said will ever exist, being the great tribulation, everything is enhancing toward that now. The Bible promises that the path of the just in Proverbs 4.18 will shine more until that perfect day. Well, that's to people who are on it. But also the darkness is getting darker. The world's getting more evil. You can look back in your own lives and see how much more evil it is now than when we were younger. Even the youngest in the, well, not the youngest, maybe not Gideon. But from the time I was a boy, and don't think the world wasn't evil then, it's always been the world, and the world is nothing but evil. But it was a lot less evil then than it is now. And really, as I said, it's always been evil, but now it's just being thrown in your face. The devil's not hiding, but neither is the revelation of the cross. And both are being made evident like never before. <clears throat> the power of sin, the power of evil, the power of the devil, he's looking to find somebody at every moment whom he may devour. We sang that too. <clears throat> but greater is our God who's within us than he that's in the world. And those who will accept the way of righteousness, which is God's holy commandment, that's what the Bible, Peter wrote it. Those who will accept the way of righteousness being the way of the cross, not anything else, because righteousness can't happen any other way. Can't happen because I, I decide today I'm going to just do good and be a better person. No, you're not. We've said it for years. You, can on, you, only, you really are only really in control of one thing, and that's what you put your faith in. You will either have it in Christ and his death and the Holy Spirit will guide you or you won't and your sin nature will guide you and the world will guide you and the enemy will devour you. But if you're a Christian, he won't inhabit you because God don't share his temple with devils. Don't fall for that mess that's going on out there today. Those who are teaching all that false garbage out there, they're not beholding the Lamb. When you're beholding the Lamb, my Bible says you're being made conformable to that glorious image you're beholding by the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. Don't anybody who, who starts talking uh, in anything other than a focus of the Lamb, it's because they're not beholding it. You're going to be boasting in what your faith is in. We boast in the object of our faith. And that's why God says in Galatians 6.14, he forbids we boast in anything but the cross of Christ. You get that? He said don't boast in Pentecost. Don't boast in your church or your preacher. 
God said, I forbid you boast in anything but the cross. Why is that? Because only there will you find him saving and working. Nowhere else. Everything else is make-believe. Amen. So let's run through these scriptures today. And, I, and let me say, the reason I said all that is because deception is greater today than it ever has been. And tomorrow it will be increasingly more deceptive. There are skilled men and women who can talk you into something or talk you out of something, even using the Bible to do it. And I'm telling you this morning, if you're not beholding the Lamb, you will walk away from God's will for your life, even though you're using Scripture for this and Scripture for that, and you got a whole, you got this religious, spiritual thing going. If you're not beholding the Lamb, boasting in the Lamb, and giving the answer as the Lamb for everything, you will walk away from God's will for your life. You walk away quoting all the right stuff, but. If you're not beholding the Lamb, you can't be being changed into that image. And you have to be beholding what happened at Calvary by faith to be being changed. That's a requirement. Andrew told me the other day, he said, Dad, I think most of the church today just believes God does stuff without their faith. He's recognized that at a young age. And it's true. Most Christians think they it don't matter. God's going to do what he, his will is without you. That's not true. Many are ensnared by the devil's trap now. He's not inhabiting Christians. You can get that out of your mind. There's no scripture to prove that. There are scriptures to prove it's not true. But he can ensnare you. The Bible says he, he can devour you. What's that mean? He can swallow you up in his will. We've carried out the devil's will before. Amen. If you're not loving and forgiving people, you right, you're being influenced by him now. If you're supporting the homosexuals and lesbians, you're supporting him. That ain't, yeah, well, I just feel sorry for him. I just, why do you feel sorry for him? I understand that, but you can't support that. You can't support these preachers who are not preaching the cross either. And you are complete in him. Everybody say, I'm complete in Jesus. You know what, com you know what complete means? It means full and it means furnished. That means you're full and you have everything you need when he saved you. You're full and you have everything you need when he saved you, but you got to start learning. That's why the Bible says study to show yourself approved unto God, not men, to God. He approved you by the blood of his son and your faith therein. And he says, now you study to show yourself unto me approved. I have approved of you and I want to see the fruit of that. That's what studying is all about. Not running around, won't see how much scripture I know. Study to show yourself approved unto God, it says. He approved you in the blood of his son, and he wants you to study so you can learn just how approved you are through your faith in the blood of the Lamb. 
You're complete in him. You're not lacking anything in him. You're not lacking anything in him. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not lack. He's the head. This word head here in verse 10, it, it, it carries with it the, the meaning, and I hope you'd go home and look it up for your own selves and see that I'm telling you right, that it, it means he's, 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 he has seized the authority. He has become the head. Look, not just of the church. He, the Bible says he's the head of the church, but look, he's the head of all principalities and power. He's the head of it all. He's in control of it all. Amen. And, and, and verse 10 says, in him, verse 11 and immediately says, in whom, and that little word in means your faith in his death. It never means anything else because that's how you entered Christ by being immersed into his death. You were crucified with him because he represented you on the cross. Jesus did not begin his reign when he got to heaven and was seated at the right hand of God. Jesus was, I'll be nice, he, he was spoiling principalities and powers on the cross. He was reigning from the tree. When it looked like, and what is that? He, he called people out of graves. He, he fed people with two hand. He fed thousands with two handfuls of food. And now, what, what, whatever he had going on before, well, he don't have it anymore. But see, he had all the power of God. And that the cross was the greatest display of God's love, mercy, and grace, the greatest display of God's power. The question is, do you see it? And if you say you do, then are you still looking at it? And, and if you say you are, then the next time this big piece of whatever comes, you know you got to look back at that or you're going to grow weary and faint in your mind. Amen. No, Jesus is not hanging on a tree somewhere, but you have to believe it 2,000 years later to be saved, do you not? And you have to keep believing it to live saved, do you not? Yes, you do. It's not the cross behind me and the world before me. It's the world behind me and the cross before me. Hallelujah. Which is the head of all principality and power, verse 11, in whom also you are circumcised. Everybody knows what circumcision is. We won't get into it this morning. Something happens to men when they're born. Israel, the men on the eighth day of their being born, they circumcise, they remove the foreskin from their part, and that, that's, that, that's circumcision. And notice here, this circumcision that we're going to see here is the cutting away of our sin through the piercing of our Savior. Watch the scripture closely. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That means without the hands of men. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
That means he, as the rock of ages, the Lamb of God, hanging on the cross, was being circumcised through his death so that the body of the sins of this flesh could be gone forever. Hallelujah. Amen. And we still are trapped in this body, but the life we live now, trapped in this fleshly body, we live by the faith of the Son of God that loved us and gave himself for us. We've been circumcised, but it's the circumcision of God on Christ at Calvary. Hallelujah. He was pierced. He's the one that was cut, pierced, and bruised, wounded for our sins and our iniquities. He didn't have any. Verse 12, buried, here it comes again, with him. I want you to know your union is with Christ. It's not you and him. It's just you, and you is you and him. There's one. You're one with him. You're one with your God. You're in Christ. He's in the Father. We're all one now. We're not God and we never will be, but we're one with him. Buried with him in baptism. Wherein also you are risen with him. Through the faith, watch this now, through the faith of the operation of God. Through the faith of the operation of God. This is the faith and the grace that Jesus lived by. Jesus tasted death by the grace of God for all men. Hebrews 2 and 9. Not some men, all men. If you're here this morning, you're listening, and you're lost, you've not been ever born again, you don't have to lay your head on a pillar again in that state. You can simply just believe upon the one that God sent to, to die in your place so you could be forgiven of your sins. A lot of people sitting up in church, they ain't saved. They got some of their own mentality and, and this new world stuff going on about who Jesus is. If you're serving a Jesus who wasn't crucified for your sins, if you're serving a Jesus who's okay with sin, then you don't know my Jesus. My Jesus came to give his life so we could be forgiven and delivered from sin. Amen. I'm seeing things on social media. Don't let me see them anymore. I'm seeing things on social media. Don't let me see them anymore. Your association is not with the world. You got anything going on with the world, you be giving them the gospel. Other than that, you come out of it. Amen. Buried with him. Man, we, we've been put away, dead and buried in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him. Y'all know you've been risen, right? You've heard me teach it. We didn't teach it near good enough, and we didn't teach it near long enough. But you just as buried and raised up with him as you are crucified with him. 
You just, you, right now, you just as seated with him at the right hand of the Father as you were crucified 2,000 years ago. You wasn't there except in representation. You're not there right now at the right hand of the Father except in representation. Jesus is representing you because you put your faith in what he did through the shedding of his blood. But you're just as much at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus as you were crucified with him, as you were buried with him, as you were raised with him. It's a done deal. The reason it's called a finished work is because our Savior declared it finished, and that means it is all finished. That means it's all complete. The only work God is working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, is a finished work. That's why the Bible says you to work out your own salvation, not all this other stuff going on. Amen. Verse 13, and you being dead in your sins. That's, that's where we were when he found us. That's where, that's where we were the whole world when he died on the cross. Being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened, has he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How many? All trespasses. All trespasses. You've been forgiven of all sin. That means past. That means present. That means future. That's not a license to live in sin just because you know you've been forgiven. Quickened. Quickened. He's forgiven me of all trespasses. That right there is what allows a righteous man, though he keep falling, to keep getting up. Because he's been justified by the blood. If he wasn't, he'd just stayed in there and waller in it from now on. But a righteous man, though he falls seven times, my Bible says he'll get up. Quit laying there and walling in your mess and get on back up. He forgave you because he loved you, and he didn't just forgive you for one thing. He forgave you of all sin. That's how powerful the cross was. The people who will die and go to hell for eternity, a bill was written for their sins. But they don't want it. They choose to pay for their sins, and they'll do it in a lake of fire. You don't have to pay for your sins. Jesus did. But those who reject Christ, they're choosing to pay for their sins. And they will do it all eternity in a lake of fire. And that ought to give you a picture of how God sees sins. Relate the lake of fire for all eternity. No hope, no nothing but torment. Relate that to what God must think about his son's sacrifice. Because it took him becoming a man and going through all that he did to save us from that lake of fire. Mm. Verse 14 says that he was 
on the cross now, get this, while he was on the cross, he was blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Don't think it's only you as a Gentile who didn't keep the law because you didn't have it. It was in your hearts, the book of Romans tells us in chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. The, the, the law was even written in our hearts, the Bible says. Even us Gentiles. Everybody's under law because you're on the planet. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way nailing it to his cross. That's why the cross of Christ, it looked like a man who once had this great miraculous power, but now appeared as weak. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13 and 4 that through weakness he was crucified. Through weakness. Why did it have to be through weakness he was crucified? Because he was tasting death by the grace of God. And God's grace is God's strength made what? I'm talking about a perfect sacrifice. I'm talking about a perfect grace. I'm talking about a, 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 a work that's so perfect and powerful that the devil can't get near it. The Bible says that Satan, he cannot attach anything to you. That's what it says, 1 John 5, 18. He can't attach nothing to you. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. He can influence us, the enemy can, but he can't attach nothing to you. Let's go over and look at it. I see y'all looking all kind of crazy this morning. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, I believe it is. There it is. And we know, everybody say, that's me. See, I'm in this we right here. I'm, I'm not in them we's out there. We know that whosoever is born of God, are you born of God? Are you born again this morning? All right. Sin's not. Uh-oh, what's that mean, preacher? I've sinned. Am I not born again? This means they don't live in sin. They don't practice sin. They don't live in sin and make excuses for their sin. Watch. We know that whosoever is born of God sins not. But he that is begotten of God keeps, that means guards himself, and that wicked one touches him not. And when you read this, you think, well, I think I've been touched by the enemy. But you have to study, as God has told us to study, the Word of God. And when you do, you'll see this means he's not allowed to attach anything to you. You're a new cre you don't have a new creation. You are a new creation. That's who you are. This old thing's fist and go bye-bye pretty soon. And thank God for it because it's got to get out of my way. Ain't none of us signing up for today, but this thing got to go. It's in my way. This thing can't go to heaven. Y'all know this thing can't get in. 
But I already am a new creation in Christ. I, ha- I am a new man in him. And he's on his way to heaven. And the devil can't touch him. Can't attach anything to him. That's what this means. Let's go back now. Verse 14, let's read it again. We've shouted for 18 years now about this Bible verse, these scriptures here. Don't stop now. Don't kick back and cross your legs and say, I've already heard it. It's them people that get in big trouble. There's always greater revelation to the seekers. Revelation don't just fall on you. The answer for which you seek, you ain't seeking, you ain't going to find. Amen. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against me, which was contrary to me. See, that's how I read the Bible. And took it out of my way, nailing it to his cross. Everything that was against you, everything that will stand up in your face now, everything that's hindering you from selling out and getting all in this way of the cross, he's already nailed it to the cross. Uh, Everything that breaks your heart and causes you to grieve, and there will be things that do that greatly in this old world, but he's already dealt with it at Calvary. Not just your sin, but your grief uh, and your sadness, uh, your oppression, your depression, your anything that you're looking for, that you need, he nailed it to the cross. Not watch now in verse 15. See, this is, this is what we say we believe, but we don't. This is what we say we believe, but we don't. Because we start running after other things. Let me say this, people who go out and start teaching all kind of flaked out stuff, they gave up on the cross. It wasn't working for them. You know why it wasn't working for them? Because they weren't believing. Many Christians say, I believe in the cross, but that's not the question. The question is, are you believing in in what Christ did at Calvary? All Christians have believed in the cross or they're not Christians. But believing moment by moment when she or he says that thing to you that you don't appreciate, when you lose this or you, whatever the case may be, in that moment, in that moment you must choose to look to the very thing God says you're being made conformable to. You understand that your God is trying you every moment. You do know that's in your Bible, right? He's not sleeping. He's not tired. He's not hungry. He's not saying, hold up, I'll get back to you later. He never takes his eyes off of you. Job 36, 7 says he never takes his eyes off the righteous. Job 7, 18 says he visits us every morning and tries us every moment. That's written in your Bible. 
He's trying you every moment. What's he trying? He's trying to see if you'll recognize what he's given you to look at. Behold the Lamb. That's not just an, an, an initial entrance view. That's moment by moment serving God. You do know you're not being made conformable to the resurrection of Jesus. You were given resurrection power when you were saved to be able to find yourself denying self, taking up your cross to find yourself being made conformable unto his death. That's what you were given resurrection power for. You're not being made conformable to his resurrection. The new man already looks like him. You were given resurrection power to lay your life down so that he could be expressed through you. And the Bible teaches that very clearly. Watch verse 15 now. And having spoiled, this is really the verse I wanted to get to today. And having spoiled principalities and powers, and that means all of them. There ain't no loose devils running around who are not under the head of Christ. There are not any loose devils running around who he hasn't already spoiled. Now here comes what I hope will encourage you this morning, and that's really the definition of spoiled. What does the Bible mean when Jesus spoiled them? We, we think about spoiled milk. Uh, which, which it's what buttermilk is to me. We think of spoiled in that way. But in the Bible, spoiled, you go back and read in the Old Testament and you, and you see that, that nations would be fighting each other and they would go in and spoil them. That means they would steal everything they got. But here, the word spoiled means to disarm the devil has been disarmed. You can go out of here saying the devil is. And this is why this preacher don't talk much about the devil. If I'm talking about him, I'm talking about along these lines that he's been disarmed. He's been revealed as who he is. He's had the power of death taken away from him. His time is short. He's not worth talking about. We used to be in all that stuff where we'd sit around and tell the devil what he was and what he wasn't going to do. He's laughing at you while you're doing that because you're giving him attention. And while you're telling him he's not getting your kids, he's already got a foot in. He's already getting a hold of them. Because the cross and your faith in what Jesus did there is the only thing that's going to stop him from destroying your children. The promise from our God is that you train, you train your children up in the way they should go. They won't depart from it. The way ain't the church house. The way is Christ crucified. That's the, you raise your children up in any other thing than that. They're going to depart from it. 
And when they depart from whatever it is you raised them up in, they just going to find something else stupid, then something else stupid, then something else stupid. And before you know it, they just out there. Most of our kids today that were raised up in church in the last 50, 60 years, they don't want nothing to do with church because there ain't no power there. Ain't no power in the church. My Bible still says that the preaching of the cross is the power of God. I ain't going with this new age stuff. Well, then, brother, you're just not loving. My, well, let me tell you something. When Jesus died on the cross, that looked like everything but love, but that was the greatest manifestation of God's love that God has ever shown humanity. The question is, will they see it? Will they accept it? Love's not what we've made it out to be. The way we present the gospel, glory to God. Oh, how loving he is today. Oh, he was so loving today. God is love, and God expressed his love on Calvary's tree. The message of the cross, my Bible says, is an offensive message. And the message of the cross is the message of God's love. So if when you're hearing the message of God's love, if it's not offending you, because the message of God's love is the message of the cross, And I've said it, and I need to keep saying it because there are people watch us all over the place. You got this church over here preaching the cross, which is the love of God, and you got the church over there preaching the love of God and not the cross of Christ, and, and the, the, y'all ain't loving over there preaching that cross. You won't love, go over there, man. Where they're preaching the cross, they're preaching the love of God. It's the only avenue through which the love of God can be accepted, shed abroad in our heart, and then expressed among each other. It can't be expressed except among the people who are striving together for the faith of the gospel that gave us that love to begin with. Hallelujah. I've never known a cross-eyed preacher to treat anybody mean. Because we have a false way of thinking about love, we hear somebody presenting this message a certain, well, they're just not loving. Well, let me remind you, the cross didn't look loving. Last thing people would believe standing there with that, with God doing that to his son, never. That's what Israel, Jews still think. The Savior, our God, sends us, ain't going to... Okay, and having spoiled, and remember that word means disarmed, he disarmed them. He disarmed principalities and powers, and that means all of them. He made a show of them openly, openly. Couldn't nobody see that, though, except born again. Matter of fact, if you're born again, you don't really even know what the cross is all about. People wearing cross necklaces all over the whole world, they don't even know what it means. At the cross is where, listen, at the cross, 2,000 years ago at the cross is where, where God has always dwelt, always dwelt there. As long as he's been God, he, he doesn't change. He doesn't change. 
He's, he's God everlasting. That means forever in the past, forever in the future. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is who he is. He is who he's always been. And everything that he set in motion when he, put man, when he formed man of the dust of the earth and formed him and made him into his own image, everything all throughout the ages from that point, really even before that, God has culminated at Calvary to the center of all that God will ever be to a humanity that he created. The cross is where everything comes to a head. The cross is where everything begins and where everything ends. At the cross, in Christ. He said, I am the beginning and I am the end. In Christ, everything began. He's creator. In Christ, everything ended. Amen. You've heard me say it, and it's so beautiful that Jesus... How do we say this? Jesus literally at the cross became the end. He didn't just end. He became the end of everything he once began. And there also, hanging from the tree, he became the new and everlasting beginning of all that God had ever done or would ever do. The lamb was slain from before the foundation of the world. That doesn't mean at a certain point in eternity past. No, that means there, it's always been that way. You see, th this is really too much for us to handle, but it's worth saying. You've heard me say many times that God can't have a new thought. Because if he does, that means right before the new thought came, there was something he didn't know he wasn't aware of. God doesn't. God knows right now everything he's always known or will ever know. And everything he knows, everything he thinks, is a done deal. You and I get together and talk about stuff and make plans. They might fall through and never happen. But if God has a thought, it's a done deal. He has no thoughts that are even wasted. How many plans have I made that didn't happen? I could write books. He's never had a thought that was not an actual reality. Now maybe we can see a little bit more of why his thoughts and his ways are so much higher than ours. As high as the heavens are above the earth. Verse 15 again, and he spoiled Prince. That's, and really, what we're talking about right there, the cross of Christ helps you understand that. Because if you're going to learn about the Lord, you're going to have to keep beholding the Lamb or you're not going to be learning of the Spirit of the Lord. You might be learning what scriptures say, and you might, like I did for years, pull scriptures all together about a certain topic or subject or a problem or sin. But if we're not pointing people to where that these scriptures can be applied, which is only by the blood of the Lamb, then we're just learning what the Bible says and not how the Bible is applied. It takes the cross for that. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. 
in his death on the cross, he disarmed the entirety of the devil's army. But while he was disarming the entirety of the devil's army, he was arming the new army of God. You are fully armed. You are not lacking anything. You have a helmet of salvation. You have a breastplate of righteousness. You have a loin belt of truth. You have a sword of the Spirit, the Word of Almighty God. You've got shoes that travel in peace. He fully armed you. He fully equipped you. And he overcame all principalities and powers. He didn't just overcome them. He stripped them of their power. He disarmed them and armed you. And to say the devil has some kind of power that can move in and make this temple of God his home shows the foolishness of men and religion. And only those who would begin to look away from the Lamb would make such gestures and comments. The more you behold the Lamb, the more you will learn. Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. That word means learner unless you deny yourself and bear your cross. You can't learn without looking through Calvary. You can't be being changed without beholding the Lamb of Calvary. You won't ever live beyond the the power and dominion of the sin nature that, yes, you do still have in you unless you continue to behold the lamb at Calvary. You can't be who you are in Christ in experience unless you're beholding the lamb. It ain't gonna happen, honey. Religion will say, yes, it can. You don't need the cross for everything. Am I gonna say that to the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ? No. My knees. When the Bible, when the Bible speaks of every knee bowing and tongue confessing, where that's found in the Bible is the judgment seat of Christ. That's Christians. Not that all knees aren't going to bow and every tongue going to confess, but they are. But where that's written in the context, it's written at least what I saw around the judgment seat of Christ. It's talking about Christians. Is your knee bowed to God now? Only if you're beholding the Lamb. Is your praise and worship in spirit and in truth? Only if you're beholding the Lamb. Are your prayers making it past that tile ceiling? Only if you're praying in the name of Jesus who is the Lamb. Hallelujah. Are you able to forgive those that offend you, those that do you wrong, those that aren't quite got it like you do? Are you able to be uh, patient with them and tender with them and and forgiving toward them? Uh, no, you're not. If you're not beholding the Lamb, you might. We might. We might even put on a good show for a few minutes and then we go home and say and do all kind of things because we're not beholding the Lamb. Oh, it's good to be in a cross-preaching church. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
But the application of this truth is not fun. It is actually the battle of your life. It's already been won. It's the Lord's and he won it. But let me say it again. The only work that God is working in us both to will and to do is of his good pleasure. Don't nothing please him outside of Christ. And that sacrificial work that took place to nothing. That's why the lamb had to be slain before the foundation of the world. God had to enter this situation all that he would do pleased. It's impossible to please him without faith. And that's not just any old faith. That's the faith of the Son of God. You do know that's why the Old Testament saints couldn't even go to heaven. They, they, they could only go to paradise because of the blood of uh, animals. God said he was never pleased with it. it. It was just temporary. It pointed to what he was pleased with, the blood of his son. The cross is the most powerful story you'll ever hear. And all the Old Testament stories that are told by professional storytellers that don't have their climax at the cross was nothing but a puff of flesh and excitement because Jesus said the Scriptures are testifying of Him. We should be preaching Jesus, singing Jesus. And you can't do that if the cross is not involved. You can't do that if the cross is not involved. You can read all the beautiful stories about Jesus in his earthly life, and we should, and we need to, because he was showing us what we're going to be like forever. He was representing our Heavenly Father to us also. He was also under the law pointing to, with every word he spoke and every action he took, to the cross. Everything he did before the cross was because of the cross. And everything he did before the cross, we're going to get every bit of it because of the cross. Amen. Mm. Everything is about that. Don't be deceived in these last days by these preachers especially that come along and say, well, it's more than the cross. What, what is more than the cross? They never can add to that. What is more to God than the cross of his son? Because that's who we're talking about here. More to who? There's more than the blood. More to who? Now, I'm not making fun of people, and I'm not condemning people because I've been there my own self. That don't mean that it ain't silly and foolish. There's more than the cross. Where? To who? Where is there more than what I can get than through Calvary? And to, to, to whom? Who says there's more? Who is it saying there's more than the cross? Only the ones who are pointing you away from it. The Holy Spirit doesn't point to anything except Jesus Christ crucified. There, if he can get you there, the Bible says he's delivering you unto the death Always. 2 Corinthians 4.11. He delivers us who are alive unto death. How often? 
always. Why is that? Because it's the only avenue through which you can be saved. It's the only avenue once you are saved that you can learn. We don't need to say, okay, enough of the cross. Now let's go learn about love and faith and, 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 and how to raise a family. No, all that God can teach you while you're beholding the Lamb, but He can't while you're not. He cannot teach you except through the Lamb. He cannot teach you except through the Lamb. He couldn't begin teaching you or begin that good work in me until I was born again. Then the good work began. But that good work he's working in me is the finished, complete, perfect work of his son at Calvary. Hmm. Let me read a couple more verses. I got a few minutes. Hebrews 1 and 3. Talking about our Jesus, who is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person, and upholding all things by the word of of his power, not the power of his word, not the power of his word, the word of his power, and his power is the power of the lamb at Calvary. That's how he's upholding all things, because who he is and what he there did. Watch. When he had by himself, means you can't be involved. You can't be involved in your salvation you can believe to be saved, but you can't save yourself. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down, sat, everybody say sat down, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And I wanted to read this verse this morning because it shows when he sat down as the new high priest, it's another show, uh, show to us it's finished. The priest under the old covenant, they never sat down. It was a continual movement of the priest. When they died, their sons took over. It was continual. It was nonstop. Jesus said the work is finished, and he is now seated at the right hand of God to prove it. It's a done deal. It's a finished work. Just let that finished work work in you. One last verse, <clears throat> Ephesians 2 and 6. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says that we've been, I better say, that's me. We've been raised up together. He's raised us up together and made us sit together. He's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And when your faith is in the Lamb, I'm not talking about. Yeah, I'm saved, or yeah, I believe in the cross. I'm, I'm talking about moment by moment, Christian living, trusting, beholding the Lamb. When your faith is literally there, and let me say this, you don't live by faith if faith is just in the subconscious of your mind. Well, I live by faith. Just because I'm not thinking about that, this when you ain't thinking about that, you get yourself in trouble. Take how many thoughts captive? Every thought captive. 
And if, I, and, and, and if faith was just in the back of my mind and it just automatically worked, it wouldn't even be a fight of faith, would it? See, we can get awful silly up in the... The devil will do everything he can. He'll teach you everything he can by men that you respect and even honor sometimes. I've sat under them. I've sat under them here, there, far. I listen to them. The devil uses a lot of people to get you to look away from Calvary. Who are they? The ones that ain't pointing there. If they're not pointing to Calvary, where are they pointing? To you. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in... You ain't sitting up there beside him. You in him. That means he's representing you in a seated position. How many times in my life do I live like I'm not seated with Christ, yet I am? I'm already seated. It's something that's coming one day in its complete fullness and reality where this is not even here any longer and all of me is there. But I'm already there. I'm already where Jesus is wherever he's at. I was with him when he died in his representation of this old thing. I was with him when they rolled the rock over the grave. I was with him when he came out of the grave. We were with him when he ascended on high. We're with him now, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's representing us there. See, these are the great truths that beholding the Lamb will keep your faith grounded in and teach you and guide you into more truth. You're not walking in truth. You can't be led into more truth. But it must be truth. Jesus is that truth. But what he did at Calvary is what makes the truth of who he is applicable to your life. And I know a lot of times people listen to our preaching and our teaching and they say, if what you're saying is right, then I've wasted a lot of time. And that right there comes a battle involved. Am I going to admit that I've wasted a lot of time? Am I going to admit that I've called some things God that wasn't God? Because Scripture has to triumph over any experience. You know what Peter was talking about when he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy? He was talking about even though I was up on that mountain, I saw what I saw with my eyes. That's, what he, that's where he wrote that in that context. Of what, in spite of what I saw up on that mount with my own eyes, we have a more sure word of prophecy. You can stand on the word of God. You can't stand on nothing else. Amen. Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning?